Good morning, everyone. As many of you know, uh, Jenny and I have a two-year-old grandson uh, who actually lives with us. We share a house with our son, Tyler, and our daughter-in-law, Faye, and our grandson, Jacob, and, and we consider ourselves to be extremely blessed uh, by this arrangement. So, so blessed. Uh, and of course, it's not without its, its challenges. Our house is pretty much in a perpetual state of chaos. Uh, if you paid us a surprise visit and just walked in the door, you'd think we were running a preschool out of our out of our home. Uh, there are toys and striders and strollers and stuffed animals and Hot Wheels gear, Duplos, I mean, it's just everywhere. And it's not that nobody ever picks stuff up. In fact, uh, we, all of us are constantly picking stuff up. But as fast as we can pick stuff up and put it away, Jacob is pulling things out. And, and he's at that stage where he seems to like to drag uh, uh, out of his room a basket of toys, you know, full of plastic dinosaurs, Hot Wheels cars, whatever. And, and instead of just finding those one or two things in that basket that he wants, he'll dump the entire basket out on the floor and then go rifling through the pile, tossing, tossing the ones he doesn't want. Just, you know, not you know, just carefully setting aside the ones, he, but just flinging them, just tossing them about the room, kind of broad, broadly dispersing them about the house. Uh, he has a lot of toys because he has a lot of people who love him a lot and, and are constantly buying him gifts, uh, not just in our immediate family, but literally from around the world. Faye was born and grew up in the Philippines and, and she has lots of family there. And so Jacob gets lots of toys uh, from home and abroad. He, he's a very loved little guy. Uh, but one of the, the joys that we experience having him and his parents share a, uh, our home is, is, is our, our waking up schedule. Uh, our daughter-in-law, Faye, is a registered nurse. She works the night shift three, three nights a week. And Tyler's job often requires him to be at work at three in the morning. And, uh, and now Jacob uh, has been sleeping in their bed almost since he was born. Uh, of course, he was sleeping in a bassinet when he was first born and then in a crib, but he graduated from the crib directly into mom and dad's bed, probably, I'm guessing, about eight months old. So a couple of nights a week, Tyler goes to work in the middle of the night. He knocks on our bedroom door, and that's my signal to go get in their bed where Jacob is sleeping so that when he wakes up, someone is there to wake up with him. And, and truly... It, it, it's a joy to wake up with him, uh, despite the fact he typically wakes up between 5 and 5.30 in the morning. Uh, but he's, when he wakes up, he's always such a happy little guy when he wakes up. He, he, he'll wake up and he'll want to climb on you and sing songs and, and you know, sing songs while he rolls all over you. Sometimes if you're not waking up fast enough, he might sit on your head which happened to me just actually this, this, this past week. And of course, two years old, two-year-olds, when they first wake up in the morning, they always, 100% of the time, need a diaper change. That morning, he definitely needed a diaper change. Nothing will help you wake up faster than a toddler who needs a diaper change sitting on your head. 
Uh, it was disgusting. Uh, and, and yet, as disgusting as it was, I had nothing but love for that little guy. Uh, and the thought came to me as my adorable little grandson was sitting on my head with dirty diapers. The thought came to me that this is the love God has for every one of us. We, we may not physically wear diapers anymore, but we all, all of us, need to regularly be changed in a very real and perhaps far more consequential way on a regular basis. We all, just by virtue of the fact that we're human, we all generate our own unique particular stink. Uh, we may not want to believe that. Uh, we may be in denial about it, but we do. <laughs> I do. You do. Do do. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, wasn't Gabe supposed to speak this morning? Uh, I, thought, I thought he was doing this series. You know, Gabe, Gabe texted me yesterday morning that he has COVID. Uh, so you're stuck with me this morning, uh, having little time to uh, prepare. This is what you got. <laughs> uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. We all stink. We all stink. And you know this is true. Because as oblivious as you may be to your own stink, you're highly sensitive to everyone else's stink, aren't you? Come on, you know you are. She is so stubborn. He is so obnoxious. She is so controlling. He's so arrogant. How rude of them. How insensitive of him. I wish you weren't so demanding. I wish you weren't so annoying. They always have to have the attention. He always thinks he's right. She always thinks she's smarter than everybody else. They're always negative. He's always so critical. And on and on we go. We are surrounded by the very real and very palpable stink of human imperfection and sinfulness. We very rarely consider how we might be contributing to that, but we are, we are often very attuned to how it is coming from others. Now, we're in this series called The Loneliness Epidemic, where we have been looking at the very real and growing sociological trend where, despite having more ways than ever, in, in, ever from ever before in, in recorded history, to, to connect with one another, despite being able to instantly have an actual uh, verbal and, and visual conversation with virtually anyone in the entire world instantaneously, despite being able to get on a plane and travel to anywhere in the world within a day to visit someone, despite all those things, we are more lonely today and feel more isolated from one, or one another than ever before. Experts, innovators, and technology entrepreneurs have secured huge financial grants and performed studies and published findings, uh, investing billions, if not trillions of dollars into this problem, and yet it continues to grow. And perhaps what's even worse, it's actually gotten to the point where it's being normalized and even celebrated as the brave new norm. As marriage continues to be increasingly viewed as unrealistic and problematic, long-term relationships in general are following the same path, and, and the choice to remain single and alone and unattached is more and more being applauded, applauded as courageous and safe and the smart path 
in life. And if you need proof of this, a new all-time record was set just this week as Miley Cyrus's song, Flowers, went into its 37th week as the number one song on Billboard's adult contemporary chart, breaking all previous records for how long a song has stayed in the number one spot. The song Flowers is, is, is one of many breakup songs popular today that seem to promote the idea that, you know what, you really don't need anybody. In fact, you're probably better off alone. Here are some of the lyrics. I can buy myself flowers, write my name in the sand, talk to myself for hours, saying things you don't understand. I can take myself dancing, and I can hold my own hand, and yeah, I can love me better than you can. And we see more and more people making that choice and embracing that idea, rejecting long-term relationships of any kind, and choosing to live alone and go through life alone. I don't need anybody, they say. But that really doesn't seem to be working for us. It turns out we're not really wired that way. And we're finding that out the hard way. I, I don't know which saying came first, uh, but, but nowadays the saying is used by both genders about the other gender. You know, the, the saying, men can't live with them, can't live without them. Or women can't live with them, can't live without them. And nowadays, it's, it's almost like, you know, people are saying, other people can't live with them, can't live without them. Why is that? Well, because they're annoying, they demand things from you, they try to control you, manipulate you, criticize you. They are incessantly needy and selfish, and a lot of times they wind up hurting you. In other words, they stink. People just stink. And that's true, isn't it? People stink. In fact, I just described one of the people I most deeply love in this world, my, my grandson. Aside from needing his diaper change regularly, he can sometimes be annoying. And he's very demanding, and his mom and dad and Mimi and I, uh, I, we have definitely noticed a blossoming of the controlling side of him, <laughs> along with market growth in his talent for manipulation. And talk about being needy and selfish. Well, I mean, he's two years old. What, what, what two-year-old isn't needy and selfish? And yet, and yet we love him so much. He's our delight. He, he's such a bundle of joy and life and love. You can't miss seeing God's incredible love and creative goodness in him. Yes, of course he's needy. And, and even though he is sometimes selfish, he's also very kind and thoughtful and generous and very sensitive to other people, even, even at two years old. You know, it's tragic in our day that children are being seen by our culture as, as intrusions into our lives, you know, setbacks, un, unwelcome encroachments into our quest for self-actualization, even to, to the degree that, they're, that they are viewed merely as the unfortunate negative consequence of what we tend to frame as the innocent pursuit of pleasure and, and self-fulfillment. 
Our, our pursuit of self-fulfillment sometimes produces an unwanted consequence that can and should be eliminated at all costs, so our t- culture tells us. In reality, however, these stinky little creatures, as stinky as they may be, they are each and every one. They are a wonderful, beautiful expression of God's amazing love and creative goodness if only we can open our eyes and see them as such. And if we can see the most stinky and needy and immature among us as such, well, maybe we can come to see everyone that way. But Jim, you say, Jim, wait a minute, though, come on. It's, it's one thing for a cute, adorable little two-year-old to be stinky and immature and demanding and manipulative. It's another thing for a grown adult to act that way, you know, like my wife or my husband or my boyfriend or girlfriend or coworker. I mean, shouldn't they kind of be uh, beyond that kind of behavior? And you're right. Yeah, they should be. And so should you. And so should I. But if we're being honest... None of us are. Yeah, true, the vast majority of us have definitely grown and perhaps are not as childish as we once were when we were two. But none of us have fully matured to the degree that we could have and should have. And I think you have to agree we've all grown stinky in, in a lot of other ways, perhaps far more consequential ways. Again, we know this. We see it all around us. It could be easily argued that while we have grown in many ways from who we were in our childhood, we have also grown in our ability and our capacity to hurt one another much more deeply and to manipulate one another and to create more chaos in the world than when we were two. And we notice it all around us, but strangely, we have a very difficult time noticing it in ourselves. So what's the solution? We're all flawed. We're all broken and sinful. And we seem to have reached a place where we have very little tolerance for the brokenness and sinfulness in others while having great tolerance for the brokenness and sinfulness in in ourselves. And this is a huge problem, one that contributes significantly to the loneliness and isolation in the world today. What is the solution? Is there a solution? Well, let's try to answer that question by asking another related question. Why do we seem to have a heightened awareness of other people's faults and weaknesses while at the same time being largely ignorant of our own faults and weaknesses? And I don't think this is something I'm just being hypersensitive about. Jesus himself identified this tendency in human beings when he said this. And uh, Chanel, I'm going to need you to help me put the uh, scriptures up because the iPad has lost its connection. Can you please put that first verse up there? Matthew 7. This is what Jesus says. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And we all readily identify with this verse, right? It's probably one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. But we generally quote it from the mindset that we're the ones, we're the ones with the tiny little speck, and it's the other guy who has the plank who is being so insensitive and judgmental toward me in trying to get the, trying to get the little tiny speck out of my eye, right? 
We're never the ones with the plank when we read this. We always think of the other person. We're never the ones with the plank. Everybody else has the plank. We have the speck. So when Jesus says what he says next, he's not talking to us. He's talking to the other guy, which is why we usually quote this passage. Let's go to the next verse. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? That's how we usually quote. How can you criticize me when you've got a plank in your own eye? And we go, yeah, Jesus, preach it, preach it. You tell him. But what if Jesus is talking to us? What if Jesus is talking to me and you? See, he's always talking to me and you. He's always talking to those who will listen and, and will take what he says personally. He's saying to you and me, here's how you should think. You are noticing the faults and weaknesses in others, but looking right past the huge plank in your own eye. A huge plank that blinds you so you can't even see accurately. Notice he didn't use the analogy of like mud on each other's foreheads or stains on each other's clothes or food stuck in each other's teeth, you know. No, he says the problem actually is in your eye. And, and because it's a problem in your eye, it's affecting your ability to, to see, it, to see well. It's affecting your perception Jesus says you need to consider, and I need to consider the possibility that the problem I think I see so clearly in other people may in fact be in my own eye. If there's a plank in your eye, you're going to see planks everywhere. Perhaps even in people where there are no planks. There's a familiar story about a couple of mischievous boys who wanted to play a joke on Grandpa. So while he napped, they rubbed some Limburger cheese in his mustache. When Grandpa woke up, he sniffed a little bit, and he said, it stinks in here. And he got up from his favorite chair in the living room, and he walked into the kitchen, and he sniffed around. He said, stinks in here, too. Leaving the kitchen, he walked into the hallway that led down to the front door. And sure enough, he's, he sniffed through, in, walking through the hallway. He said, it stinks in here, too. Flinging the front door open, he took a deep breath, expecting you know, to, to smell the fresh air. Uh, but once again, the Limburger cheese filled his nostrils, and Grandpa shouted in disgust. He says, the whole world stinks. <laughs> Seems Jesus may be teaching us in this passage, maybe the plank you think you see in everybody else's eye is really in your own eye. You know, it's been well documented that often what bothers you so much about someone else is usually something you yourself are struggling with. I, if, I, if I'm bothered by how pretentious someone is, for example, it could be an indicator that I'm pretentious. I, I'm not usually that bothered by pretense in others unless I have it in myself. Of, or of pride, or of hypocrisy, or any other character flaw or sin. So here's the problem. We all struggle with these things. All of us do. We all struggle to some degree with pride, with hypocrisy. Every last one of us. We all wrestle to some degree with envy and self-centeredness and the need to feel important, the need for recognition and respect. We all want to be important, all of us. And when my need to feel important clashes with your need to feel important, 
Well, there is conflict. And the result is enmity and strife, which ultimately results in, in loneliness and isolation. T.S. Eliot once said this, most of the trouble in the world is caused by people wanting to be important. And that is so true, isn't it? But that's all of us. That's all of us. And here's the thing. We were created to be important. There's not a single person on this planet God did not create for importance, for significance. But here's where we go sideways. We tend to seek to satisfy our need to be important in dysfunctional and destructive ways. Primarily, we seek to satisfy our need to be important on our own, looking to ourselves, not looking to God for our sense of importance, but looking to ourselves. I mean, that's a whole sermon in and of itself, if not a whole sermon series right there. But we tend, we tend to root our identity in things that will establish or provide us with a sense of importance rather than God himself. Who alone, who alone can bestow upon us genuine importance and significance. We root our identity in our careers, in our vocations, in our education, in our talents and abilities, in our achievements, in how smart we are. But all those things are temporary and utterly incapable of truly providing us with any actual genuine significance and importance, which can only be found in God himself, the one who created each one of us as a unique and special expression of his creative love and goodness. And see, when all those other things fade, and which they inevitably do, we walk through failure, we, we, uh, we walk through loss, we, we lose abilities, we lose positions and titles we once had, the, the, the calls stop coming in, the respect and recognition we once had all but disappears. When all the things we've rooted our identity in and our sense of importance, when they fade away, we suddenly find ourselves not sure of who we even are because our identity was rooted in something other than God himself. In fact, Jesus said, Jesus said, don't even root your identity in the things that you do for me. Don't do it. He, just a handful of verses before this passage we're looking at, just a handful of verses before that, he, he, he says this, be careful, be careful not to do good works so that you may be seen by men. Be, be careful not to make a contribution or to read a scripture or to even pray in order to be seen and admired by other people. That's not where your sense of importance comes from. Other people cannot bestow upon you the importance that you were created for, so stop looking for other people to give you that. Stop maneuvering. Stop, stop trying to maneuver and, and to position yourself so that other people will notice you and, and applaud you and admire you and give you the affirmation. It's not what your affirmation shouldn't come from them. Jesus says, don't root your identity in the things, even in the things that you do for me. After all, what do you have I didn't give you in the first place? And if I was the one who gave it to you, why are you looking to others to applaud you as if you have done something on your own. 
Don't root your identity in the things you have done for me. Rather, root your identity in what I have done for you. That's where your identity should be rooted. There's a story of, about a loving mother who saved her little girl from a burning house, and in doing so, she suffered severe burns on her hands and her arms. And when the little girl grew older, not knowing how her mother's arms had become so disfigured, the girl was ashamed of those scarred, gnarled hands and arms, and, and she always assist, insisted that her mother wear long gloves to cover up the ugliness. But one day, the daughter asked her mother how her hands became so scarred, and the mother, for the first time, told her the story of how she saved her daughter's life with those hands. The daughter wept tears of gratitude and said to her mother, Mother, never ever hide those hands again. They are the most beautiful hands in the world. See, your real identity comes from the glorious reality that God literally bankrupted heaven for you. That's how important you are. That's how significant you are. He sent his own son into the world to pay the penalty for your sin and stink and fallenness. H how do you determine the value of something? It's whatever the highest bidder is willing to pay for it. There is nothing in the universe more valuable than the sinless Son of God, and the Scriptures tell us that God did not spare His own Son, but He freely gave Him up for us all. That's how important you are. That's how valuable you are, how significant you are. And nobody can take that away from you. So why are you striving to get that sense of importance from other people? And He didn't do it because we deserved it. We don't deserve it. We stink. We stink to high heaven. Each one of us carries the stench of sin and pride and self-deceit. It's only when we humble ourselves and acknowledge that reality that we really begin to be set free from it. And, and what freedom that is. And I know you've experienced this. When you finally are able to say, yeah, I've got a plank in my eye. Yeah, I stink. I do. I struggle with pride. I struggle with hypocrisy and self-deceit. See, it's only then that you truly begin to experience freedom from pride and, and hypocrisy and self-deceit. Not, not that you don't struggle with those things anymore. It's just that when you finally acknowledge that you do struggle with them, that you have leverage against them and that you, that you begin to separate that from who you really are. As long as you deny you have it, well, that remains with you. As long as you say, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not a hypocrite, you remain a hypocrite. And it remains part of who you are. But as soon as you say, yeah, I'm a hypocrite, and God help me to not be a hypocrite, you call that out. You, you call it out of you. <laughs> so it's not part of you anymore, although you, although you still struggle, it's no longer a part of you. It's no longer, it no longer can hold you captive. See, you, you, you can't struggle against something you don't acknowledge as assaulting you. Just like you can't be healed from a disease you refuse to admit you have. 
But when you finally admit, yeah, I have this disease, well, you break the power of that disease over you, and genuine healing can begin. So going back to this passage in Matthew, Jesus says to you and to me, how can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye, when all the time you have a plank in your own eye? Next verse. You hypocrite. You hypocrite, Jesus says to me and to you. And, you know, you can be offended by that. You can respond in, in your heart, I'm no hypocrite. Or you can humbly say, yeah, I, I wrestle with hypocrisy. I sometimes am critical of people over things that I'm guilty of myself. I sometimes profess, profess to be one thing, but then behave in a way that's contrary to, to what I profess. Yeah, I'm a hypocrite. Jesus says, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. First acknowledge that you have your own faults, weaknesses. You've got your own sin and stink. First recognize that you really are no better than anyone else, and then you will be much better prepared to help someone else. Notice Jesus doesn't say to never help your brother or sister get the speck out of their eye. In fact, he actually says the opposite. He just says, focus on your eye first before you go help your brother. Because when you focus on your own eye, you begin to realize how painful it is when you start digging around in there. And you're a little bit more gentle, a little bit more compassionate, you know? This is, this is one of the reasons why we need each other. Others help us to see in ourselves things we're incapable of seeing on our own. Jesus, James' half-brother, he closes a letter he wrote. Let's go to that last verse there. He closes a letter he wrote, uh, James, James 5.20. He says this, Remember this, whoever turns a sinner back from his or her wrong way will save that sinner's soul from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. So this is something we're, we're encouraged to do. But Jesus reminds us we must do it not from a position of superiority, but of compassion and humility, recognizing you yourself struggle in similar ways. Nobody all of a sudden, you know, just becomes blind to the weaknesses and shortcomings of others. You still see them. But here's what happens when you begin to deal with the plank in your own eye first. Instead of being annoyed by and critical and, and you know, of... of the speck in their eye and, and you know, want to write them off and be done with them, you'll instead feel a level of compassion and grace for them and genuinely want to see them healed and restored and set free because you know you too have weaknesses and shortcomings. You too are often annoying, arrogant, ill-tempered. You stink too. I can't count the number of times where I've prayed and asked God to help me to be a better person. To, to become more patient or, or to become more compassionate, just to help me to stink less. God, I just, I, I know I stink. Help me stink less help, and help me grow in a particular area of life. And, and God answers that prayer and sends along a brother, or sisters, a, a brother or sister that often, unbeknownst to them, is actually helping remove a speck from my eye. God rarely, if ever, just comes down from heaven while we're sleeping and removes specks from our eyes. He usually, in fact, virtually always, he sends along a person. 
Frequently not a person I would have preferred or chosen, but a person who winds up, if I will be humble and, and let God ha have his way, winds up being very helpful, helpful in getting this speck out of my eye. Sometimes there's some pain in that process. In fact, usually there is. I'm sure you've experienced that. Sometimes in the process, that person hurts you. They hurt you. But they never harm you. You go, oh, come on, what's the difference? Uh, it's just semantics now, Jim. You know, it's the same thing. No, it's not. See, a dentist will hurt you, but will never harm you. A doctor might hurt you, but he will not harm you. In fact, his hurt will lead to your healing. People who love you may hurt you. In fact, the deepest pain we often experience in life comes at the hands of those who love you the most. If you think about it, they may hurt you, but by God's grace and faithfulness, they can never ultimately harm you. In fact, here's the promise you have from God, and it's all through the Bible. God has promised that even those who hate you, who are out to intentionally do you harm, to bring you down, to see you suffer, even your enemies whose very intent is to destroy you. They may hurt you, but they cannot harm you. God has said that over them. They cannot harm you. Whatever harm they intend for you, God just takes that and he turns it around to make you better, to make you stronger, freer, and more complete. And actually, what you ultimately discover, the only thing that winds up getting hurt is your pride. And, well, you know how God feels about that, right? <laughs> God doesn't want to hurt your pride. He wants to annihilate it. <laughs> right? He wants to completely destroy it because it's the one thing that stands between you and Him. It's our pride. Worship team, you guys can come back up. Thankfully, God is always ever so gentle and patient when it comes to this. He, he, it doesn't always seem like it, but ultimately you come to realize just how gentle and gracious God is in dealing with our sin and our pride and our self-deceit and our, you know, dealing with our, our issues. So let me just sum up. Here, here's the sum, summary of, of today's message. You stink, I stink, we all stink, God loves us anyway, and he wants us to learn to love one another anyway. And we need each other to help us not stink so much. Amen? And this is the, one of the ways that he intends to cure our loneliness. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us even though we stink so bad. Thank you that we know that as we put our hope and trust in you, that one day, one day, we are going to be completely free from all stink, the stink of sin and pride and self-deceit. We're going to one day be set free from that. In the meantime, Father, help us to be patient with other people. Help us to be patient with ourselves. And help us to, to find our true significance and importance and value in you, the only one that can really give us 
any kind of true greatness or value or significance. Thank you for your immense uh, love and compassion toward us. In Jesus' name, amen.